Well, let's pray and then we'll get busy. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the opportunity we had to be here. We are we are in awe of you, Father, and the power and the majesty you have. We're here to study your word this morning in this class, and we're here this morning to worship together as a family. Father, this truly is a family of yours, and I thank you for it. And I pray, Father, that as we study this morning, that you'll help us to learn. And then, Father, help us to stay committed to the truth of your word. Help us to realize how important it is for us to implement your word into our lives and to do the things that we're supposed to do on a, on a regular basis. Thank you, Father, for loving us, and thank you for providing us with the scriptures that we can study this morning. Bless us. Help us to be the people that your son died to make. And help us, Father, never forget who we belong to. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I told you a, a couple of weeks ago that uh, 1 Peter is a survival manual. It's a, it's a survival manual on how to stay strong in tough times. Every one of us is going to go through those times. Every one of us is going to go through some, some struggles in our lives. And 1 Peter really is a, is a book, is like a manual of, of reminding us who we are, reminding of you of what you have at your disposal, reminding you that, that don't give up, that no matter how bad it gets, don't give up. There's always a light at the end of the tunnel, and and we're gonna we're gonna approach this letter, these first two letters, that these two letters that way. You know, what is it reminding me of? What is it telling me of? You know, and, and I, we look at first the verses one and two, and last week, and I asked you, well, let's, I'm just gonna read them. It says to God's Peter, an apostle of Christ Jesus, to God's elect exiles scattered throughout the province of Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with His blood. And I asked you if there was anything in that in that, in that first part that you looked at and said, yeah, I have a question about you. you know, and and I want, you to, I want to ask you the same thing again. Is there anything in that text, in that first two verses, that you say, mm, man, I don't I understand that. You know, is there anything there? Predestination. Predestination. Okay. You know, that, that is a common theme. That is not what he's talking about, guys. We're going to look at a couple of texts. Uh, I, can't, I can't teach you the, the, uh, the things against predestination. People are going to believe what they believe. I believe that God predestined the church. I believe God predestined the, the unit of the family. When he, when he created Adam and Eve in the garden, and when Eve fell and he, and he confronted Satan, I believe the whole time he's got, he's got the church in mind. Because he talks about the seed of woman is going to strike the head of, of the serpent and take away his power. He said that. And that is that happens through the church. It happens through the blood-washed individuals of the church. It doesn't happen. At, God doesn't pick and choose one person or another and say, I want that one. I'm not going to choose that one. That's our free choice. Otherwise, you know, when we get into, I think it's uh, later on in this letter, it says, God, it says that God doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to come to repentance. He's patient. He'll wait. He'll wait and wait and wait. You know, so that that negates right there predestination. If he wants everyone, how can he want everyone to repent if he already knows that he's already handpicked some and he's already abandoned some to hell? That that doesn't make any sense. So I want to I want us to look at a couple of texts where it talks about you know, us being chosen. And first place I want you to go is is in Ephesians chapter one. I want you to look there for me for just a minute. Ephesians chapter one. If you look at verse 4, it says, For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight in love. He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with the pleasure of His will. What does it say here that God did? What does it say that He did? 
He chose us when? Before. Before the creation of the world. So before He ever created, what did He choose? Did He choose you and not me? Or choose me and not you? Or did He choose, us? Did he choose a methodology of salvation and, of, and what that was going to end up being? So what did He choose? He cho chose a framework. He, he had said in Hebrews chapter 4, I believe, that the work of Jesus was done before the foundation of the world. Before it was all, it was already done in God's mind. God already had it planned, already had it set in motion, and He already He already put it in place. Now, so if I if I come look at this verse again, and I said it says uh, uh, that for He chose us in Him. Where where is the choosing happening? Where does it happen? In Him. It says if for He chose us where in Him. And who's He talking about? He's talking about Christ. He's talking. About, he said in Him, in Christ, He chose us. So if I'm not in Christ, what have I what have I done? Made it impossible for God to choose me, to be a part of it, if I'm outside of Christ and don't come to Him on His terms. Look at what He said. For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love, He predestined us for adoption to sonship. How? Through Jesus, Through Jesus Christ. How does the adoption of sonship happen? Through Christ. Does that does that uh, give uh, does that give uh, ammunition to predestination, or does it take it away? Takes it away. Now look at at uh, verse eleven. It says, in Him, in who? In Christ, we were chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything in conformity of the purpose of His will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of His glory. Everything revolves around us being in Christ. Everything. I come to Jesus on Jesus' terms. God adopts me, adds me to the family, and, and, he, and, and he, we're going to look at that maybe next week. In Galatians, well, just turn over. Just turn back to Galatians chapter three. Look at verse twenty-six. So Christ, so in Christ, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who have been baptized in Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And we're going to look at that inheritance you know, down the road in another couple of verses. We're going to look at the inheritance. What did he say here? He said, in Him. He said, so in Christ you are all children of God. I can't be a child of God outside of Christ. Can't. Not possible. Everyone who is, who is, who is a part of Christ, and then look at what he says in chapter 4. What, am I, what I'm saying is this, as long as an heir is underage, is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual force of the world. When set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born of the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Adoption to sonship. You know, what does that mean? What does it mean to, be a, a, to, have, to re receive the adoption to sonship? What does it mean? You have the full heirship. I have I have the full inheritance. I have full rights. You know, I mean, in, in my family, when I when I die, what it what do you what should you say I have rights to this because Dan died? What? In my in my inheritance, what do you what do you have coming? Nothing. Nothing. Why? Because you're not part of my family. That's right. You're not part of my family. My sons and their families. I'll have what they're going to get. You know, they we, you know, you know, they. There's three pieces of this, and each one got a different one, and that's what they're going to get. That's that's the way this works. You know, because they're my family. So what do I have rights to in this family? 
As adoption of sonship? The inheritance. I'm an heir of Abraham, the seed of Abraham, according to the promise. All right, now, look look back. Look at, a, 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 let's see, 1 Corinthians, I believe is where it's at. Let's go back to 1 Peter for a second. I want to, I want to read something again. All right, so, he said that He chose us before the foundation for, for the foreknowledge of God the Father. Okay? So we've been chosen as a family, as a, as a body of believers, as a people. I have, I, have a, I have a place and right within that family structure of the church. I am part of the bride of Christ. I belong to Him. I was chosen in Him when I gave myself to Him and I was obedient. And He's going to talk about that in a second. And so, you know, if, if you look at this from a survival manual perspective and times just got tough in your life how how much easier do you think it becomes when you can start listing these things that I have access to through Christ let me tell you something it make, can make all the difference in your life it can make all the difference when you're standing over a casket or you're in a hospital room or you walk out of a doctor's office you know whatever it may be you know the, maybe the only thing you have to hold on to is the fact that you're that you're not of this world that there's something else going on in your life you know and many people they, they don't have that hope you see it in, you see it in, in, in people's in people's mindsets the way they respond to tragedy and trauma they you see it and and people absolutely lose their minds okay they lose their minds uh, saw it saw it first have seen it firsthand where they had there's no hope you know, Peter writes this to give us hope. He's going to tell us that in verse 3 when we get there. And then look at what he said. He says, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. What does that mean to you? That was one of the questions. I don't understand. The sanctifying work of the Spirit. How does the sanctifying work of the Spirit work? How do you think it works? Through the Word. Through the Word? Okay. You think that the, the, do you think the, the, the Holy Spirit has a plan and an agenda? Go ahead, Kill. Uh, that there's a that God is active. God is active, and and I think there's lots of words right here that that acknowledge that fact. You have chosen. Yep. God is choosing. Yep. You know the work of sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. That's there's yep. activity yep. there. Remember, we just studied this. Remember, we studied John, and in chapter 15, 16, 17, what did Jesus tell him? I'm going to send you somebody to help you. I'm going to send you somebody to help you remember. Remember. It dwells in us, so we have that. Would be the activity you're talking about, but that would be the sanctification through the Spirit. That's right. He sanctifies us, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's job was to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. What it says in, in John chapter 15, and he said, Jesus said, "I want them to all be one, as the Spirit is is one. You and I, and the Spirit are one. I want them to all be one because He's going to put the Spirit in us. What is, what is on the just just a few days later, just 50 days later, Peter's going to stand up and he's going to preach to the same people that just put him on a cross and killed him, butchered him. And he, they're going to say, what can we do? Is there anything we can do? Because they're cut them to the heart. And he says, he says, repent, be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the mission of your sins, and you will receive what? The yeah. gift of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit coming in to do His work within us. You know, it's going to talk about here, he's look at what he says. He says, the sanctifying work of the Spirit uh, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with His blood. What do you think he means about sprinkled with His blood? The, whole, the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ and through our obedience to Him. It did, if, if those people that killed Jesus 
are standing there on the day of Pentecost and they walk and they turn around and walk away from Peter and decide, I don't believe this, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to be obedient to that, I don't, I don't buy any of that, and they walk away. Do they have any connection to Christ that way? Same, same today. You walk away from it, you have no connection to Christ that way. You can't, because Peter tells us how to get into Christ. He says, you know, it says in Galatians 3, all of you have clothed, have been baptized in Christ, have done what? Clothe yourself with Christ. I have I put Him on in baptism. You know, hopefully we have someone that's going to do that this morning. I hope. We'll see if that happens. But, but you know, I mean, that, we clothe ourselves with Him. We become part of Him. We're obedient. And He says, when, and I want to take you back to this text. I want to take you back to Exodus chapter, uh, uh, chapter 24. Exodus 24. <clears throat> Now this is where Moses is going to take the take the Aaron and his sons and the seventy elders of Israel. He's going to take them up on the mountain and they're going to show them Christ, show them God. And God's going to come on a street of on a, on a highway of sapphire, and uh, and it's uh, pretty pretty compelling. You know they get scared to death. Is what happens. They they hide in like a bunch of rats. And he but in verse seven he says, then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, we will do everything the Lord has said we, we will obey. Then Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. He sprinkled it on the people. You know, we're going to take communion this morning. And it is a remembrance for us of the blood that was shed on the cross. The blood of what? The blood of Christ. The blood of the new covenant. The covenant that God promised in Jeremiah chapter 31 says, well, I'm going to send a covenant. There's going to be a covenant that where I will no longer forgive their sins. I will forget them. I will remember their sins no more. That could was not possible under the old law. So as they lived under the old law, they could not get... They had to continually go time after time and get sprinkled again over and over and over. When when Jesus sprinkles us, what was the sprinkling designed for? What was it? What, what, what was it? What was the significance of it? Huh? Redemption. Redemption. Cleansing. You know, sanctification. That's what it was designed. So when they kill these animals and they sprinkle the blood on the people and sprinkle it on the books and sprinkle it on the temple, whatever, it was a, for God, it was a cleansing effect, a redemption effect for that moment. But under the law, what did they have to keep doing? Over and over and over. They did over all the time. Jesus said, I'm going to come and I'm going to pour out some new blood. And, he, and the book of Hebrews says, I'm going to go in one time. For all time, I'm gonna take. I don't, I'm not gonna take blood for my own sins. God don't have any sin. I'm gonna take the blood for the people. He said, "I'm gonna sprinkle them clean." So when I take the Lord's Supper, it's not for me being sprinkled all over again. It's for me acknowledging and remembering what has happened to me already. That I have been sprinkled clean. Otherwise, how can the Holy Spirit come and make residence with me? Okay. If He hadn't sprinkled me clean, how can He make residence with me? Because the, the God would not come in. The, go go look it up, guys, in the Old Testament. Look it up and see. When Solomon built a temple and they cleaned it with blood, they sprinkled it with blood, the, the presence of God moved in and took over. It scared them to death. When, when God cleansed them and He moved in into the tabernacle, He moved into the tabernacle, and it, and it, was, it said the presence and the awe of God moved in there. He couldn't do that until it was clean. And for them to be clean, they had to sprinkle it with blood. The blood of unsp unspotted animals. And they killed them by the thousands to get blood to sprinkle on the people. It was a, it was a grotesque religion in some instances. Don't you think? 
Just just the mindset of Golgotha. Think about it. Think about the place of the skull. Why they name it that? Because people died there. You understand the filth and the chaos and the garbage that 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 if it was a place of utter decay and other other uh, stench for us to know how how utterly repulsive to God sin is. It's how how repulsive sin is to God. And so when he when when we're standing in the presence of God and He cleanses us with the power of His own Son's blood, washes us clean, and then the Holy Spirit moves in. Why is baptism so significant? People out there saying, "Oh, you have to be baptized." That's a you know all them Church of Christ are all going to hell because they believe that. You know, all I'm looking at is the book. What does the book say? What the book say? What did He tell the people when they said, "What do we need to do? Repent, be baptized." What is what does Ananias tell Paul? What are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. I know that the water don't save you. You know the water don't save you. Water don't cleanse you. What cleanses us? The blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus. But there's a connection between our obedience to God, doing what God tells us, and the con and getting to the connected to the blood. And so that's what He's talking about. When when uh, you know, I mean, you can. How how good do you have to be? For this to take effect in your life, how good do you have to be? It has nothing to do with our goodness. You know what Satan will try to do? Now this is Bible manual stuff. Okay? You know what Satan will try to do? Convince you you're not good enough. Convince you that you didn't do enough. Convince you that you're never going to be good enough. And why do you put? Why do you? Why do you waste your time? Just go and do whatever you want to do. And he'll really get his foot in the door when traumatic events come in your life. When trauma. When tragedy, when hardship, when whatever it may be comes in your life, it's very easy for him to get his foot in the door, and then you start listening, but bits and pieces, a little bit of it, and then it starts to make a little sense. You know that's why it's so important for us to have a, a survival mindset for for Peter to say, "No, you don't understand, Satan. I've been washed by the blood. I've been sprinkled clean, and no, I'm not perfect. Look at David. Was David a perfect individual? Was he? Tell me, tell me one thing he did wrong. He killed Uriah. What else? Committed adultery. He committed adultery. Saw her, wanted her, took her. Because he could. You know? And then killed her husband to cover it up. So, I mean, what about his what about his family life? How good of how good of a daddy was he? Not so hot. Not so hot, was he? Guys? Not I'm not I'm not giving not you freedom example. to be a lousy father. I'm just telling you that God can God can win go past that. He can he can save you in spite of that. He can make you better in spite of yourself. You know, and, and you when you start looking at the trauma that's happening in your life or the or the, the inconsistency, you say, Man, what am I doing this for? I must give up. And people quit going to church, they quit being part of the family, they quit they quit reading, they quit studying, quit praying because it looks like it's too bad. Let me tell you something. You know, it ain't. God loves me. God loves you. And when you don't let him show you that through the through the mechanisms that he uses, let's say just say through the word, just through the word, to let me know that hey, I have an ability to survive here because Jesus said so. Go ahead, Campbell. Did Jesus pick any perfect men to be the apostles? No, there wasn't any. No, 
And yet we think that in order to be a godly person, in order to be used by God, we have to be perfect. Mm. That's that's crazy. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. But there are people out in the world that, that think like that. And they won't come to God because, you know, my father-in-law was, you know, and, and I, I, I believe that he's in the presence of God now. He was a heathen. He was as, he was as cold-blooded he, uh, uh, hedonistic as you could get. And, and he told me one time, he said, God could never forgive me because I've been too bad. And I said, really? I said, I'm going to tell, tell you about a guy, and you tell me if he should have saved this guy. And I told him about Paul. And I said, this is the guy. Let me tell you about this guy. I didn't tell him his name. I said, this guy, do you think God could save him? Do you think God should have saved him? He said, absolutely not. And I said, you know what I'm talking about? He said, I have any idea. I said, the Apostle Paul. It's Apostle Paul. And he said, uh, years later, I don't know how many years later, 10, 12 years later, he was baptized in Hallisville and lived faithful until he died. You know, Because he realized at that point that I don't have to be good enough. And he and I talked about that. You know, We talked about that, about how he never was going to be good enough. Neither was I. Well, we can't be. No. But see, the thing was, is, is where you, when you look at this and understand this, is you live this stuff because He saw me before I became a Christian. He knew me before. He knew what I was like before. And He, and he looked at me and He looked at Georgia and He said, because He knew Georgia because He knew her from a little bitty girl. So He knew something's different going on with these two. I don't know what it is. But He told me one time in my own backyard, He said, I don't know what it is, but I want what you got. But He didn't want to do what it took. At that point in his life, he did eventually, but you know, thank God he did. And he sent God sent some great people to him. You know, Elvis Johnston and some of the people there in in Houseville were were awesome to him, and and helped him to to get over that hump. So you know, the sanctity, the the spirit works when you give up because it got bad and hard. Spirit, you you negate the papility for the spirit to work. Look, and he, I want to take you to another text. Uh, look at First Corinthians chapter six. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Now, he's writing to the church at Corinth. The church at Corinth is full of problems. Okay, They got some issues. Would you say that's true, Vic? They got some issues. And you, you, you really, sometimes you can't look at this book and say, because I tell you that because Vic just got through studying. First, the first Corinthians with with a class here, and uh, I, and I'm, I'm looking at this going. You really sometimes you can't even look at it because some of the the problems are unique to some of the things they got going on. But we're going to start in verse seven. I want you to look at this. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. They're suing each other. This is the church at Corinth. They're suing each other. <laughs> Why not rather be wrong? Why not be rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers and sisters. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the Greek. Yeah, I said it. Don't get me in trouble probably, but I said it. Men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now listen to this verse. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. What does he say? You've been cleansed. No matter what you've been and where you've come from. Everyone can be saved. Everyone can be saved. Everyone can be saved. No matter what. 
Now, turn back over to First Peter. Now, here's a couple of things that we're going to put on our survival manual <coughs> checklist. <coughs> I am I am an exile, which means I am a sojourner. That means I don't belong here. It means God has a different country for me to live in. I just don't get to live in it yet. I get to be I get to get glimpses of it by being here with you and having you interact with me in a, in a ways that that you that you do okay the way that that maybe you don't even realize until it gets tough in your life until you start to see the traumatic things happening you then you start to look around and say wow this is incredible and it really pains me that some people won't allow themselves to get to that place where they won't allow that to happen in their lives they won't allow the church to step up and be the family that, that it's designed to be you know and you know, and in here he says, "So I'm an exile. I, I have been. I have been reminded again that I don't live here. This is not my home. Okay, this is not your home. We just have to live here for a while." And then he says, "Then not only that, but that I have been chosen by God. God has decided to choose me, put me in, make me a part of the family, and he and he and the Holy Spirit is working in my life as we speak." That's why we're doing the fruits of the spirit on Wednesday night. Glenn's going to do the one on patience this Wednesday, uh, and he and the the Holy Spirit is working alive and well, working within me, working through the Word, working through the family, working and to help me to become the best I can be. Okay, and then and then I have then I realized that I have been not only chosen but I have been adopted and I have been washed by the blood. Those are those are parts of the manual that Satan cannot take away from me. Couldn't take it away from Job. Job knew that he had a connection to God. He knew that God loved him. He knew that he loved God. And even when it got to the point, even where his wife turns on him, because his wife, sweet, innocent lady that she may be, I don't know, I'm not going to get in trouble again, but to have a wife say, why don't you just curse God and die? You know, thanks, but I'd rather have somebody else. You know, thanks. I, you know, I, I've got, I, I don't have a wife that would ever tell me that. In fact, my wife told me when, when I got a phone call and I was at the hospital with her and somebody needed to talk to me, she said, you need to go and do what you do. So, okay, I'm going. So I'll be back in an hour and a half. You know, that's what I want. That's what my wife has been like in my life. Not one that says, why don't you just curse God and die? All this stuff happened because of you anyway. You know, I have, I have a relationship with God that I couldn't buy, I couldn't earn, I couldn't be obedient enough, and I am, and I'm connected to God. That should give you a great sense of hope, a great sense of comfort in tough times. And if it doesn't, I'm going to remind you when it gets hard. Yes, ma'am. Well, I was going to say, and we need to look at this ado adoption as a good thing. And some adoptions aren't good. I mean, no, your you're experience right. experience with adoption is bad. And you think, okay, I'm adopted, I'm a second-class citizen. Mm -hmm. But that's not what this is saying. No, it's not. You get the full benefits. The full benefits. Full benefits of sonship. That means that that I have been adopted by God, and you know. And I said just a minute ago, I said, you know, if it gets hard for you and you forget that you're that all these are, I'm going to remind you. You know, and and the reason I'm going to do that is because I had people over these last four weeks that called and reminded me. You know, and I needed to be reminded at times because you know the the, the weight of it gets so much that you're that you're you know you're face down in the dirt. And I needed some people to remind me and say, hey, Dan, don't forget. Don't forget who loves you. You know, don't forget what's going on here. And sometimes it was simple. Hold on, just one second. Sometimes it's simple as, you know, Cole being with us, and I'm, and I'm, thinking, I'm thinking helicopter, critical, bad. Bad, right? 
Was that right? And Cole's standing there next to my wife, laying on a gurney, and he said, would it be okay if we prayed with her to the p people coming on the chopper? I said, absolutely. That helped me to snap back to, oh, whoa, man, I know who's in charge here. I know, no matter what happens, it's going to be okay. Even if she's gone, it's going to be okay because, because he's in charge. It's that, it's that kind of thing that you say, wow. Man. And that's what we need to remind each other of, what this survival manual tells us. Yes, now go ahead, Kelly. I was going to make a comment about the adoption. Go ahead. The adoption word. And, and, and it goes back to this. We were chosen. Mm -hmm. And we weren't chosen when we were children. Mm -hmm. You know, innocent, pure, all yeah. these things. No, we were chosen at our worst. Yeah. And yeah. that's when God took us on. Yeah. As sons and daughters of God. It's, it's a, you know, some of us, now I'm not going to say me, but some of us, if we knew what our children would become, we may not have chose them. Exactly. <laughs> you know, you know, you know, not me, no. Not me. I love my boys. I love my boys. I would have thrown one of them back for nothing. Well, even from the standpoint of being parents, you know, not all of us had great parents. Yeah. But this is the king. The yeah. king is choosing yeah. us to be his yeah. heirs. That's a, that's amazing, guys. See, you, you, you grab, wrap your mind around this. That my mom and dad, no matter how flawed they were, and they were flawed, and I had some real issues with their parenting styles and all that stuff. I had some real issues with it. You know, I don't. That's not my parents. God is my father, and He is by far better at doing this than they ever could have been. And I wanted, always wanted my boys to not look at me that way. I wanted them to look at me as just a facilitator to get them to their real father. I think that's what parents should be, facilitators. To get them to the real father. Get them to the real connection, the real family. It is a it is an amazing thing to be to be in a family, a physical family that has all my family faithful. That's an amazing thing. You know? And it and, and you can attribute a lot of that to that lady sitting right there. She's the one that, that pulled that off. It wasn't so much me, it was her that pulled it off. You know, and that's a and now we get to be not only part of this family bloodline, but we get to be a part of the spiritual family. That's amazing. You know, my, my youngest son is out on, the, out on the bay right now with his oldest son, you know, fishing because he doesn't get a chance to spend time with his son that much, and they got this opportunity, so they went, you know. And it's all, for them, it's all spiritual. I know my son. This is spirit. He may not talk about God. He doesn't have to because the spiritual part of it is going to be his son gets to be with him alone with none of the other kids, just by themselves. That's amazing. That's a spiritual moment that many of us didn't have with our families, didn't have with our parents. You know, and that's and so when I look at this survival manual, I want to remember all those things when times get tough, and I want you to remember them so you can remind me when I need you to remind me when something like this happens again. God forbid, or it happens in your life, that I'll remind you. Don't forget what First Peter said. Who you are and who you belong to. All right, let's let's move on to the next. Look at verse three. Yeah, I told Cole, there's no way I'm going to ever do a chapter <laughs> in 40 minutes. No possible way. Not in my DNA. We've been at this for two weeks and we're in two verses. Oh well. Verse three. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I want to ask you a question. I want you to think of a time when you felt hopeless about a situation in your life. Think about a time when you felt hopeless. Something happened, 
whatever it was, something happened, and you felt completely hopeless in that situation. There was no, there was no right door to choose. There were no doors to choose. You were just stuck, hopeless. How did you cope? How do you cope when you have no options and you feel like you have no options, no hope? Hope is a confident expectation. I have a, I have a belief in God. I am confident in something. And when you have no hope, you know, uh, you walk into people's lives and you, uh, and, you, and you deal with the misery and the garbage that's in some of their lives and you see it. It's a train wreck with an airplane crash waiting to crash into it. And, it, and there's just no out. And you see people that are just absolutely blown. Their lives are blown up. Why do you think the divorce rate's so high? Why do you think suicide rate's so high? Why, why do you think? You ever think about it? Why, do, why, do, why are 50, 60, 65% of marriages falling apart? Why do you think that is? Young marriages are falling apart. You've got no hope. You've got no direction, no hope. Why do you think so many people are willing to end their life prematurely. What do you think what do you think's wrong? But there's no hope. There's no there's nothing to hope in. Think about it. If you didn't have God in your life and you just watched TV and went to work and what what is it going to breed in you? Hope? Hope in what? What what are you going to have hope in? Everyone out there's trying to stab the other one. Everyone out there's trying to say something more negative about the next one than the last guy did. That didn't get that didn't breed a lot of hope here, okay? So what are you gonna? What did he tell me here? I have. I mean, how, I didn't add, let you finish. How did you cope? What did you do when you were in an utterly hopeless situation? How did you cope? How do you cope? How do you think people cope? I've just given you two options. That's how they cope. They say, "Well, it's not working here. I'll just move on." I've never had a hopeless situation. Never, uh, thank God. Because I've always had. I've always had God. There, that's, but that's how you. But that's, when it, that's the thing. I, I can't. I, I I see what you're saying about the people who don't have God in their lives, and it's like, if I was in the situations I was in, I wouldn't have had that to grasp let, onto. Let me let me tell you. You know when you when you know you love your wife, you love her dearly. Something happens to her, and and when you when you're handcuffed and hogtied, that's how you feel. It feels hopeless. And how you cope is you go to God because you have God in your life. What about someone that doesn't? And they're hogtied and handcuffed, and your wife is laying there in front of you, and you know there's nothing you can do. You're hope you're you're helpless and hopeless. You know, I watched I watched uh, uh, I've watched professional medical professionals. They look at you and doesn't breathe a whole lot of hope when they look hopeless, when they don't know. I know the first the day she was going to go home, you know they they did therapy and they worked her a bunch. And her blood pressure went to 71 over 35. Larry went, <laughs> And you know what I saw? Four or five people standing around a monitor like this waiting for it to go up again, hoping it's going to go up. Because if it's not going up, we got a serious, serious problem. And I saw, if it doesn't, I saw especially the therapist, because he said, I think I may have went too far. I said, you think? <laughs> you think? Yeah, and 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 the, the sense of relief when it came up 120 over 74, the sense of relief was, you know, it was you could cut it with a knife in that room. The sense of relief, because they were hopeless. They didn't know what to do. That therapist, he didn't know what to do. 
His his bacon was, and then I saw another one at the Pam unit, and she almost let Georgia fall. And I saw her like this, and she was standing against the wall like this. If if Georgia had fell, she's done. That's that can be a hopeless situation, you know. And you look at it and say, "What am I going to do? I'm going to go to God. I'm going to let God handle it." That's where we're going to stop today because we're going to look. I want to pick this up. I want you to think about hopelessness in your life that we don't have to have it. Yes, ma'am. I just going to say one more thing. I think our whole Christian life we prepare for those moments mm -hmm. because we weren't studying the Word if we're not in the book Absolutely. we're not praying. Absolutely. Because at our lowest point, I was able to go back into Psalms and read some of the mess David was going yeah. through and I could say, I relate to yeah. that. What, what, what Linda's saying is, is that we prepare our whole lives as Christians to go into those situations and have an out. Okay? That's what this class is about. That's what worship is about. To give us an out. Okay, we'll see you next week, guys.